Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hilary Milnes. This year on the Glossy Podcast, we discuss the forces of change driven by digital technology that designers, brand founders, and the agencies who work with them were forced to adjust to. We explore topics like how Instagram is changing the way people interact with brands online, the rise and fall of see now, buy now, and what the digitally native brand market looks like now that the space has matured. And don't forget the elephant in the retail room, Amazon. To capture the biggest conversations we had on the Glossy Podcast this year, we compiled the best quotes from guests like Tim Coppins, Hilary Swank, and Rachel Zoe as they discussed navigating the new fashion landscape. At the beginning of the year, See Now, Buy Now was top of mind for all designers. Amy Smilovic, the founder and creative director of Tibby, has staunchly refuted the See Now, Buy Now model, indicative of where it was heading. I, you know, have to say, we honestly, we did not consider it for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I, we have really made our mark by offering innovative and modern designs that are deceptively wearable at the same time. And so I think for anything to be modern and creative, it takes time for the consumer to to see it and fall in love with it. And even for myself and my design team, we're constantly putting things in front of each other and you know, we'll, we'll hate it at first or all hate it and then we'll dance around it and it'll hang in my office. And then you know, a few weeks later, I'm wearing it around and you start to fall in love with it. And if it takes me or if it takes my design team that long to really start to digest something new and creative, there's no way I expect a consumer to, you know, sit down on the front row, see it running past them and then run out and purchase it. Mm-hmm. If she did, I, you know, I, maybe for a sweatshirt that would work, but we, that's not my goal to introduce something that basic. Even without switching to an in-season model, designers, particularly in America, are under pressure. Tim Coppins, who was trained as a designer in Antwerp, had to adjust to the creative and commercial clash once relocating to New York City, as he explained in January. I mean, when I came here, my, the, one of the, I think one of the biggest things that I saw, and as, as a designer, having uh, been to the academy in Antwerp and, and schooled there, and just be very, very uh, creative and conceptually schooled, right. when you come here, is the business focus. <laughs> and is the focus on like, okay, we have to build a brand and we have to be able to um, make money out of it. That's like the bigger focus. And I think that's not a bad thing, but I think it should be balanced out. And I think it's, it's, we get a lot of kids also that, um, that go to school here. And it's sort of like, I think, I think it's important when you, when you go to school, I was in the jury for the Academy, um, in June and I realized how important it is to really let that creativity develop itself. Mm. Once you have that creativity, um, you have to figure out how to, that's not, that's like maybe like a dirty word for a lot of, commercialize it. Um, and, and because that's essentially what you're going to try and do, like build a business out of that, right? You're selling. Otherwise you're, you're selling yeah. something. You're not sitting in a dark basement with, right. your, with your clothing. But I think there's, there's a difference between like, I mean, I guess, you know, you, there's an execution of that product, but there's also coming 
to to make new product and be innovative and i think you can only do that when you know how to like think completely free i think the, the most creative companies were probably by people that had established something before that were probably like doomed to die <laughs> from the first day they 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 started their business and but that's how you create new things mm -hmm. um and i think that's something in in um i think the entrepreneurship here mm -hmm. is top but i think in in design i think you you think you have to be careful when you graduate when you start that you can let that design that creative aspect be free enough um and and have it let the right uh mm -hmm. network around it that can help it uh, create the business around it also The pressure to scale is on, but some designers are finding that customers have become more product loyal and less brand loyal. New York-based designer Daniela Kallmeyer is questioning whether or not the name on the label matters at all to today's customers, as she expressed in a podcast this October. The barriers of entry have changed. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they're easier or that they're harder. I think if you are a designer, um, in a lot of ways, it's harder because you can't just create a product, put it out there, and that's enough. Um, but at the same time, it's easier because of social media and the internet and accessibility to things like Squarespace and Shopify, and anyone can have just one product and turn that into a brand. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, you know, we get attached to this idea of brand or we get attached to this idea of, well, this is working, so this is my path to success. And you could just as easily be successful with just one product while someone who has built up a an amazing brand with a great identity struggles to find, you know, their path once their customer changes with the times. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of, if you find that one product that sticks, you're almost better off than if you have a full cohesive collection. Now I would definitely say that's the case. I mean, I, my girlfriend and I often say, we think that the idea of a brand is either going to not exist or will change entirely. You know, people aren't searching for what one designer is doing for their entire collection anymore. Mm -hmm. They're looking for an off the shoulder shirt. Mm -hmm. They're looking for their favorite, you know, sustainable detergent, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's where internet search history comes into play. And you, you could have amazing success with, with one piece, but that might not be in fashion two seasons from now, three seasons from now, mm -hmm. and and then what do you do? It was impossible to discuss the future of fashion this year without mentioning Amazon. As fashion brands contemplated whether it's better to try to beat it or join it, most guests we spoke to want to keep Amazon at arm's length as long as possible. And they're not all shaking in their boots. American giant CEO Bayard Winthrop doesn't see Amazon as a threat to his apparel business. I, mm -hmm. I'm in love with Amazon as a customer. I think they just do an incredible job. I'm a huge admirer yeah. of that brand. Um, but I'll, I'll give you sort of an anecdotal example. The, the, the uh, Amazon came out three, four, five weeks ago with an announcement they were getting into woven shirts, button-down shirts. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that announcement sent shockwaves through retailers like uh, The Gap, Old Navy, Target, people that are really competing on price and convenience. I would bet that Yvonne Chouinard slept soundly that night. I bet he didn't think about it for a second. And that's because he's talking to a, just a different consumer. There's going to be big, big, big businesses on, on both sides of that. But that's for now. 
Mm, I, I, I just don't think that the customer that is shopping for a, mm-hmm. a cheap, decent quality button-down shirt from Amazon is the same customer that's shopping at Patagonia. They're just different customers. Mm-hmm. I think that this customer that's shopping at Target and Old Navy and Amazon and Walmart are a lot closer. They're a lot more value-oriented. They're not thinking as much about maybe premium for premium, you know, premium quality for premium prices, which is where I think Patagonia lives. Right. And so I think that, I think that I, you know, we, we are a price point as a brand. We, are a, we have an American-made story, mm-hmm. and we have a quality offering and a set of brand values that are not available on Amazon today. And, and I think that, so I don't worry about Amazon. Would you sell through Amazon? We would not, no. And that, that's a more sort of um, nuanced question, but, but a lot of that has to do with we want to control how our brand comes to life. We want to, uh, we want to be managing our customer relationship ourselves because we just we're going to take care of our customers in a way that no one else is going to mm-hmm. do as good a job as we're going to do. Yeah. And so, for just a variety of reasons, we won't. But yeah. but I understand what people do. While brands stay wary of Amazon, there's an opportunity for marketplaces to pop up and appeal to luxury labels. Jenny Bike, the CEO of Orchard Mile, said that her company is filling the space left open by Amazon's inability to rope in luxury brands. With Amazon, I think brands are very reticent to say they're actually thinking about Amazon, even though it's the elephant in the room and everyone's thinking about Amazon, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> so to really say, you know, this the luxury space will be the last one to get on Amazon, let's um, let's be totally honest. And actually, when someone said to me, wow, you're going to you're going to do a um, platform in the fashion space? That sounds really hard. Like, how are you going to compete against Amazon? The one area that is quite defensible, actually, is um, luxury Mm e-commerce. And I think the reason for that, if you really look at the structural um, dimensions, is that there's a lot of counterfeit products on Amazon. There's a lot of gray market product, which I know that they've been trying to clean up. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll get there, maybe they won't. But until they get there, eventually they will, mm-hmm. um, you know, brands are looking for alternatives that will provide data. So we actually have a very a unique and sort of different point of view about how data sharing and how to empower brands. So basically what we do is we try to allow brands to be themselves. So all the images on Orchard Mile are the brand's images. It's the way that they shot and styled them. We don't shoot anything ourselves because we think the brand should express what it was meant to be about. And similarly with consumers, um, we, we can talk about the My Mile feature in a minute, but it's really about letting them be themselves, right? And really facilitating a dialogue between the two. Mm-hmm. And that is something that a marketplace has not done ever to date. And we're kind of tackling it. We're doing a lot of data sharing between those two parties so we can make that experience better. We don't want to own product. We're a marketplace, so we're completely drop shipped. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily even want to own the customer, which I know sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but we do want to own that experience that is so unique and differentiated. But that doesn't mean everyone thinks that luxury brands stand a chance in the fight against Amazon. Elaine Kwan, the founder of e-commerce management firm Quantified and a former Amazon fashion manager, said that brands will be forced to figure out how to make nice with the platform eventually. When brands think of Amazon, they think they, they, there are a couple different reactions, right? Uh-huh. I think one is wariness, yeah. annoyance, sometimes fear. Um, and I think that because of that, and, and again, they all... There's a lot of communication amongst each other, and I think overall the lack of pricing control and oftentimes seen as lack of respect of the brand for the brand mm-hmm. uh, really affects 
uh, you know, a brand's decision as to whether or not they want to work with a particular partner. And um, I think it, Amazon's definitely gotten a bad rap when it comes to um, partnering with certain brands and respecting pricing control. Um, I mean, ultimately, they are who they are today because they've prioritized that consumer relationship. And I right. think instead of, and this is, you know, sort of the strategy that we've seen that's worked for brands so far is instead of seeing Amazon as, hey, you know, they're bad, this is a platform we should just avoid entirely, mm-hmm. I think the way to look at it is say, okay, this is a very important brand for my customers all over the world. Let's be where they are and find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a matter of understanding if, if that can happen and if so, how. As Amazon looms in the shadows, this year also saw a surge in the rise of digitally native startup brands as the category matures. The retail tenants established by those modern consumer companies are well-known by now. Practice transparency, cut out the middleman, and have a direct relationship with your customer. But did these brands, oftentimes saddled with millions in venture capital dollars, really rewrite the book? According to Scott Tannen, the founder of Bolin Branch, not so much. And there's a massive correction coming in 2018. I think in the history of the world, um, certainly in the last 50 years, I can't I can't think of a single brand um, that has actually bought a market. If you really think about it, right? There are plenty of brands that raise tons of venture capital, um, and while many people will blame their failure on on a lack of, of of capital, generally the failure is is something else or something else with proposition. So. Um, you know, the more money you have, the the sloppier you can be as a company. Um, this isn't my first startup, um, you know. So so I've I've been through the process uh, a few times of growth, and and what I've realized is that you're never buying your 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 sales if you want to be in this game for for a long time. If you want to create a business where your intent is to uh, to maximize your valuation. Um, then you're playing a very different game, and you're gonna you're you're playing a competition of how many more sales can I purchase than somebody else, um, and you're relying on other sources of revenue or, or other sources of capital um, because your revenue is not actually providing the capital that you need to grow. So I look at that as it's a very unsustainable model, right? It's it's all about momentum, and and for every company that. Um, is able to sell in their first four or five years or, or IPO or, or whatever they happen to do, um, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others that aren't those magic beans, and it just doesn't happen. Even actress Hilary Swank, who launched her direct-to-consumer luxury brand, The Mission Statement, is not immune to the trials of learning how to launch a business. I have this um, aesthetic idea of what mission statement should be and now what it, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have... I do have loyal followings of my personal brand of who of who I am um, that and so I have a big reach but of course you have to think about of where you sell your clothes mm-hmm. and how that converts into to, to actually making a company work right um, and we are specifically doing direct, direct uh, to consumer because we want to be able to give price points that um, are, are reachable to women, you know, we, but also I like to do that because it gives me the opportunity on my website to talk about the clothes in a way that stores wouldn't necessarily, um, unless until I have my, my own brick and mortar, you know, Mm -hmm. until I have the opportunity to have my own store. Right. Um, and then, then you can tell that story. 
Growing up under the hood of a brand that's been burned by the expectations accompanying big rounds of investment can help younger startups gain wisdom as the space matures. Maggie Winter, the co-founder of denim brand Air that was incubated by Bonobos, can tell you. It turns out that blowing millions in marketing over the course of a year isn't the way to gain real customers. I mean, it's not sexy, but capital efficiency is probably the biggest takeaway um, that a brand launched in 2014 um, would would benefit from versus a brand that launched in 2007. Mm-hmm. When Andy uh, and Brian first launched Bonobos, you know, Facebook was the Wild West, and it really was like um, you were building social platforms and social communities and brands together, and um, it's, you know, incredible how brave they were um, to uh, to see the opportunity, but it's also... Um, uh, it's also um, a different time now. So, you know, there's that a saying that I loved. I heard it from an investor. Was, the pioneers get the arrows, the settlers get the gold. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there has been a generation of brands that's been, um, that's tried a lot and spent a lot of money to try a, de- a lot of different um, approaches towards audience acquisition, which is ultimately uh, the biggest hurdle for any retailer, whether you're online or offline or old school or next generation, getting people through the door, whether it's um, physical or proverbial is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, we've had the benefit at least of learning, okay, that's a great way to spend $5 million of a marketing budget in a year. Let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a great point. And I, like you said, it's not sexy because it never really is. What's uh, most <laughs> going to be valuable to the company isn't something that people want to talk about that much. But but that's the thing that lets the company live. And that's the thing that keeps people loving it, you know. And um, it, it's, uh, it's a really competitive time right now in retail. And the rules are changing daily. And um, year over year, it's a completely different environment, different landscape. And so, um, you know, survival is like, is real. And you have to have a, you be, have to be able to run on your own business. Mm-hmm. You don't want to run on your last round of funding. But this year, one of the biggest forces changing fashion came in the form of a feed. Instagram is changing the way people interact with brands, the way brands plan their collections and campaigns, and even the way designers display their fashion shows on the runway. As a result, the fashion industry is full of rash decisions, as explained by Ronnie Zidane, the founder of luxury agency Row NY. You know, people go crazy when there is change that happens, and... We have to just adapt to the new normal. Mm-hmm. Fashion is not what it used to be 20 years ago. The whole industry is not what it used to be 20 years ago. Retail has changed significantly. I blame Instagram. Yes. <laughs> uh, but in, in reality, there's been sort of this rush in the last couple of years of trying to understand what's going on and reacting to things on the, on the dots mm-hmm. versus waiting and seeing what's going to happen. So there's been many sort of like hopes that, oh my God, this approach is going to help save the industry see now buy now is the savior of all those are just marketing techniques that get the word going get the hype going and get brands sort of on the map for a blip of a second Mm -hmm. and as we live this whole this whole world of social media lasts for just a few seconds so you have to kind of repeatedly put the put content out there, kind of keep talking about the brand over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. in order for it to make an impression. Regardless, the pressure to stay on top of the social media tide is mounting. 
Rachel Zoe, a stylist before becoming a designer, said that she used to have to keep her work as a stylist behind the scenes. Today, anyone in the fashion industry can be made or broken by their social media presence. Um, I think the phenomenon of social media has changed everything in every mm-hmm. industry, quite frankly. Yep. Um, but I think fashion unequivocally has changed because of social media. I mean, you can't stand on ceremony mm-hmm. um, at this time and you can't say, well, this is the way it worked four years ago, so this is how we're going to keep doing it. Um, you have to roll with the times. You really do. You don't really have a choice. Um, but I look at it, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, again, I say in the old days, but, you know, when I was styling, there was no social media. There was no Instagram. You know, there was social media, but it wasn't used the way it is now. Right. Um, you know, and most certainly when I was styling, I mean, you weren't even allowed to tell people who you were styling. And now you see on social media, every single actress is posting their hair, make their hair, makeup, manicure, stylist, you know, being huge advocates for their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not the case in my career. You know, um, it was a very sort of behind the scenes job styling. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a way that now artists, the same way as designers, when I say artists, I mean hairstylists, makeup artists, um, you are really, you know, if you take two people that have the same skill set, but you take one who has a big presence on social media, I mean, their opportunities will be limitless. I mean, they can launch product, they can get endorsement deals, you know, I think that you have to look at business differently now, you have to amplify your brand you know, whether it's something you're comfortable with or not, you have to because you'll get lost. As a result, the barrage of brand content is mounting, and no one's sure whether or not the industry is better off for it. Ferdinando Verderi, the creative director of the agency Johannes Leonardo, hopes that brands take a little more time to be absent and sit back in the new year. The idea of having to produce a lot is not something I really share because I know that it's an obsession of lots of brands, but I just feel... I just feel uncomfortable with the fact with anything that feels like needs to be done. I don't think that brand needs to produce a lot. I think there are lots of opportunities for brand to be present, but also lots of opportunities for brand to be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's not enough people thinking that way. And so we are overwhelmed by meaningless messages, while I think sometimes absence is more powerful than presence. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast this year. We'll be back in 2018 with new episodes and new guests who will continue the conversation around making change in fashion, luxury, and technology. And as always, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. 